All right, so awesome. Um, again, so it's a, a special Sunday. We're normally going through the book of Ephesians together, um, but we're going to put that on hold, so we'll resume our study in Ephesians next week. Um, I think it's important that we learn from history. There's the saying, was it George Santayana, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Um, so it's very important to know history. That's why I feel that not only the Bible, but even church history uh, is important because um, if, if we're ignorant of the history, we can be repeating some of the same mistakes. And so one of the main mistakes uh, I want to avoid this morning is falling into sort of mindless ritualism where we simply do baptism because isn't that just what they do, right? You just go through the motions. How many of you here grew up in the church? Okay, quite, quite a few of you. Um, and again, is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it kind of depends. Um, I, I think it can be a good thing. I think it can be an advantage. But sometimes you can grow up in an environment where it's just sort of implied that everything with God is good, because you have proximity to other people who you think are good with God, and you know who knows whether that's true, but that's at least what you think, and you grow up with it. And then the people you grow up with, they do certain things, right? They go to church on Sunday, so that's why you go. Um, then they, you know, they treat people a certain way, have certain ethics. Well, I should have those ethics too, I guess. And then you know, oh, you what, what baptism? You're going to dunk yourself in a tub outside? Okay, all right, I guess I'll get dunked in the tub outside too, you know, and just, and you kind of do all these things, and you're not really going through the mental and heart process that I think scripture suggests that we do. I, I think especially in the New Testament, um, one of the things that Jesus was constantly pointing out is that God gives laws, but that's not all he gives, what he's, after, what he's after is not just your obedience to certain specified acts. He wants your heart. Um, and so we want baptism to truly be from the heart. And how can it be from the heart when you don't really understand what it is? And churches have differed on baptism uh, for 2,000 years. I mean, honestly, there's so many kinds of, of differences and all that. So I think it's very important that we just take this morning as an opportunity to explain what baptism is. And for those that are going to be baptized, I, I hope this will be a fruitful exercise for you that this will just sort of confirm that, yes, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, I, I kind of liken it to, to marriage. There's people that maybe they'll date. They'll date for years, and, and everyone's kind of like, gosh, how long have you guys been dating? Hasn't it been like five years? You know, and you're like, well, when are you going to pull the trigger? When are you just going to get married? And it's like, I get why they're doing that, but the last thing you want to do is push somebody into a marriage they're not ready to make. That's, that, that often doesn't end well. So I, I think sometimes baptism is that way. Christians are like, well, well, well I am, you know, and, and pushing, but you want it to be from the heart. You want people to actually be ready to do this because this is a life-changing thing. And so I just want to go through some basic questions um, that I think people are asking and I think should ask if we're actually wanting to know what it is the Bible says um, about baptism. So just want to go through these questions with you. First obvious question is, what is baptism? What is it? Uh, well, our English word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip, to immerse, to plunge, to wash, and to purify. And so quite literally, for 2,000 years, professing Christians have participated in a religious ceremony in which, in connection 
with a verbal profession of faith in most traditions, are baptized in water. So that's, it, it, let's begin with the act itself. It's going into water of some kind. But what does baptism mean? Because we want it to be meaningful. Quite simply, baptism represents the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So it's supposed to be a picture of what God has done, God's great saving act in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. And so baptism, when we witness it, that's what we're looking at. We're actually looking at the story of God. We're looking at the story of Jesus. But then, of course, we don't just watch it. We participate in it. And this is a vital connection. Baptism is representing the story of Jesus, the story of gospel. And when we, or the candidate for baptism, undergoes that, what they are saying is, I want to be united with that. That I actually want my life, my body, my mind, and my soul to be joined together with the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And that's so important because there's always parts of the Christian life that anybody could want, right? Like, uh, you know, God's blessings. It's like, who doesn't want that? So you're like, well, I'll get baptized because I think I'll get some blessings out of it. Okay, well, God may very well do that. But remember, when you're baptized, you are also baptized into Jesus' death. So do you want to really be baptized with Jesus into his death? Is that the kind of life you really are ready to live? A life of self-denial. I've done quite a few weddings over the years, and it's always interesting to me the vows that we say, right? I mean, they're, they're... romantic, and and I I think they're important, and they're on the right track, but it's like, who really means that? I mean, I I think, you know, I'm going to I'm going to live totally for you. I'm going to forsake all others. Oh, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer. I mean, but who's in their mind going, oh, yeah, when we're dirt broke, that sounds good. I want to be with you. Oh, yeah, when I'm, you know, when, when I'm absolutely so sick, I, I can't take a shower, you know, for like a year. And, uh, oh, yeah, that, that, that sounds great. Oh, and, yeah, we might be homeless. And, you know, and I'm going to find out you're actually weird, you know, like you're a weirdo. And you, because we, you know, we dated online for a year, uh, you were able to hide that now we're married and in person and and I'm just like who in the world are you 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 know so we we say these great vows but I I think we we tend to always look at just the easy positive side of those vows you know for richer well that's not that hard you know uh, healthy oh oh, that's good Uh, when there's nobody around to forsake because we're alone on an island well that's easy it's easier to forsake all others when there's no one else to forsake you know so we tend to look on the positive side of, of marriage, and that's why so many people get into them and don't want to stay there. I think the same thing can be true with baptism. We look at it as, well, it's what people do. It's what society does or the community of believers. That's what they do. And oh, I, I, read, I read in Scripture some cool things happened when people were baptized. You know, they came out of the water, and there was the gift of the Spirit being poured out on them. And, and, and then, you know, it's kind of a cool feeling. You're gathering together, and, and people, they are. They're, they're cheering for you. Like at a wedding, everyone's like, you know, looking at you, the attention's on you and all this. So, so that's all good and great, and none of that is bad. But we have to remember, we're not just being baptized into Jesus' life, we are also being baptized into his 
death. And so we are saying that the story we read of Jesus is the story we want to be united to. And so that's very important. Why should I be baptized? Well, let's talk about this and let's do it from a biblical perspective. So, of course, Christian baptism, in in our minds, we may go back to the famous scene in the Jordan River with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. But, of course, technically speaking, that's not Christian baptism um, because that would be after Christ has ascended into heaven. That is a uh, pre-Christian sort of baptism. So it's not quite the same thing. We see this in the book of Acts um, when Paul encounters a group of believers who were baptized into John's baptism. And he says, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? Like, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So he goes, well, wait a minute, what baptism did you receive? Oh, well, we received the baptism of John. Ah, but the baptism of John was a baptism under repentance, and you need to be baptized in Jesus. So it's important to say, well, that's not even actually the first Christian baptism. So where do we get this idea of Christian baptism? And I'd say it actually starts in a famous statement that we have called in church history the Great Commission. And that's Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I'll have it behind me. This is what Jesus said before he ascends into heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So we see baptism begins really here. It's something that Jesus gives to his apostles, and it's a commission. He says that as you are going, and interestingly, the imperative is not go, so you don't have to like, oh, you know, Matthew 28, I have to sell everything I own and go to a different country. No, uh, it's actually a participle. It says going. It's assuming naturally you're going. You're going somewhere. Some people are going to go way far away. Some of you are called to serve in your backyard, to be right in your neighborhood. So simply going, assuming you're going, the command is to make disciples. That's the imperative. We are called to make disciples of others wherever that may be. And that will be a different calling for different people. But this is part of what it means to make a disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see that Jesus commands that we baptize. And it's sort of the beginning of a new kind of life. That's the idea. Just as somebody is single and then they get married and from that point forward they are married and they are called to live a married life, it's the same kind of thing in being baptized. Baptism and the day of your baptism is not the day that your faith journey ends, it's the day it begins. And I think for many people growing up in the church, and and by the way, this is all kinds of Christian traditions because the problem underneath is that we can use outward practices as, as a means of pride or actually missing the point, which is God wants your heart through these particular means. And so one of the things I know for me in just seeing this in the church is some people would see baptism as a moment where, okay, I did it, I'm good, I'm saved, now I can live like hell. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I live. Hey, I did that, that guarantees me, I don't go to hell when I die, it's all good, I can live however I want. It's, it's been taken care of. Um, This has not been helped by um, various evangelists who who, who basically preach a message of fire insurance. 
I call it fire insurance. Hey, when you guys all leave, you might die on the 405. And you don't, and if you die on the 405, where are you going to go? Oh, I don't know. I might go to hell. All right, well, do you want fire insurance? So just accept it right now. And, it, and that's all you're doing. You're signing line. You got fire insurance. And now you can go on the 405, and it doesn't matter how you live the rest of the week, the rest of the year, the rest of your life. It's just a moment. It's just a thing you do, and then that's it. No. The idea of baptism is it represents the day that a new life begins. And that's actually spelled out here, particularly in the Greek, because there's no conjunction, there's no and. It just says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I commanded you. In other words, baptizing is a part of teaching them all the things I commanded you to do when I was with you. So it's simply the beginning of a life of obedience. And again, if you grow up in the church, like I said, advantages and disadvantages to that. Um, but let's say you don't come from a church background at all. You know nothing about this. Christianity is weird. The Bible's weird. Church is weird. Ba public baths, that's weird. You know, just the whole thing is just weird to you. I would want to just put it forward to you this way. Because Christianity for some people especially, of course in the ancient world, this definitely would have been true with people coming out of Greco-Roman pagan religions. They're like, I don't know the first thing about what it means to be a Christian. I don't know, what, what does that even look like? Like, what am I supposed to do, like, you know, with my, my time and, and my body and my money and my ideas and which of those are good and which ones aren't? And baptism simply says, look, this is the first step. And it's a step anyone can take. It's a step of obedience. Look, you may not know all the things there are to know about Christianity, and to be perfectly honest, I don't either. We're learning as we go, but this you can know. Whatever comes, whatever seasons of life come, you can know that the pattern of baptism will remain with you the rest of your life. You are simply trusting in God. You are taking a step of obedience, and that is how you are to live the rest of your life, no matter what happens. Trust and obey is at the heart of what we are called to do. And so this symbolic act of baptism is a part of a lifelong decision to follow Jesus forever. So at the Jesus gives baptism as the beginning of discipleship before he ascends. And then we also see baptism is mentioned in the very first sermon, recorded sermon, in church history. At the very end of that sermon, which is recorded in Acts chapter 2, Jews were gathered from every corner of the empire for the Feast of Pentecost, many speaking different languages. And the Apostle Peter gets up and he preaches a message. And at the end of that message, he says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And it said 3,000 were added to the church that day. 
So we see Jesus commanded that we do this. We see that the apostles began baptizing on the very first day that most people mark the beginning of the Christian church. And it has been continued for 2,000 years, which is quite amazing because churches can vary considerably in so many different ways. But simply the act of baptism in some way, shape, or form is a universal of Christian practice and experience. The next question is, when should I be baptized? Again, there are a lot, a lot of different thoughts on this. Mine are fairly simple. Um, I, I believe in the principle of sola scriptura, which means not that the Bible is my only source for information, but it's my highest authority for faith and practice, which means I don't look down on church history. I think it's very important. I think tradition is important. As a matter of fact, I'd argue tradition is inescapable. People say, oh, well, I'm a non-traditional. Well, that's even kind of a tradition, right? I'm just going to buck up everything else and do my own thing. It's a very American thing to do, I actually think. Um, but when should I be baptized? This is what I would say. When you know what it means, I think that's important. Not all traditions agree with that. that you, some would say you don't need to know what it means. I think you do need to know what it means. I think you see that in Scripture, at least explicitly. There's arguments made. It's implied. It's never explicit that anyone is baptized who isn't able to believe, who doesn't know what's going on. So, A, number one, you know what it means. We do not want to devolve into just a ritualistic group that does things mindlessly. We want to be a thinking people. So when you know what it means. And secondly, after you have placed faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. So once you know what it means, A, and you are saying, I am willing to give my life completely to Jesus from this day forward forever. That, that is the, the minimum. And I would say people, they, they can feel guilty for not doing it earlier. And other people are like, oh, you know, you, do, you should do this and all that. Again, I believe that your conscience matters. I believe it needs to be sincere and from the heart. And so these two things need to be there. You need to know what it means. You need to have already placed faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. I don't think personally and from scripture, a long time has to pass. I don't think it has to be many, many years. It can be right away. I think you see that in the scriptures. People literally in the book of Acts will believe and then they're, they're talking. They just believed and they're like, hey, here's water. You know, let's get baptized. So it can be quick. It doesn't have to be a long amount of time, but it can be. Next question would be, how should baptism be done? And this is fascinating for me. Um, again, I grew up in um, Calvary Chapel, which is a non-denominational church, which sprung out of the Jesus movement in the 1960s. And of course, the Jesus movement was um, former hippies uh, coming to Christ. And so you, you did get with that kind of a, a anti-authoritarian, anti-kind of historical sort of thing. And it's just like there's there's no process at all. We just make it up on the fly. We just, we just do it. Uh, of course, other traditions, they've thought a lot about this for many, many years, and they have certain set uh, ideas of how exactly it should be done. So what do we say about this here? I would say while churches have differed and even strongly disagreed about how baptism exactly should be done, it is our belief that Scripture is primarily concerned with what it represents 
and only secondarily with the mode of baptism. It's interesting because in my studies, one of the things we had to do is study all the different views on baptism and read the arguments of, you know, Lutherans arguing with Catholics and Orthodox arguing with Anglicans and blah, 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 and everybody argue. And the funny thing to me is not, not that there's no value in that, but the mode of baptism in the New Testament is not the main issue. It's just not even brought up. There is no command, no imperative with regard to the mode. However, what is primary is that what it means and the person's heart responding to that is important. It's the most important. We see this in 1 Peter 3.21. It's kind of in, in the middle of a, a paragraph, but let me just give you this verse. And Peter, the apostle, says... And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, he's saying it's not ultimately about the water, the H2O, though that's it, it's a symbol of what God is doing. It's ultimately a symbol of what the Holy Spirit is doing on the heart. And since it's on the heart, the conscience matters. That's the main thing. So if you get the mode down, even if that's possible to do, should it be sprinkling? Should it be immersion? Should it be done uh, in, in a certain kind of church building? Uh, does it have to be in the ocean or, or a river? Does it have to be the Jordan River? I mean, all these things that people have seriously argued about is not the main thing. It is ultimately a clear conscience towards God that we are trusting in him to do the work on our hearts that only he can do. However, since practically it must be decided how it will be done, we believe that immersion in water by members or officers of the church is best representative of what baptism's intended biblical meaning and context is. Again, so I'm not saying dogmatically, if other churches don't do it exactly our way, that they're wrong. I'm, I actually know that there's room for difference on this. Um, but let me tell you why I think these things are important, why I think immersion matters, and why I think officers of the church in the context of the church matters. Uh, number one, why does immersion matter? Again, now we know that sprinkling has been practiced for 2,000 years. You can probably argue it happened in the Bible um, as well, and, and I'm personally fine with that. I don't have anything against that. I know people uh, say in Calvary that hold my position to immersion, but they feel that anyone who doesn't do full immersion, it's like not valid and it's not good. And I'm like, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't feel that way. But why are we doing this whole thing anyway? It's because it's a symbol. Well, if it's a symbol, we have to ask, is this symbol functioning properly? Does it point to what we're saying it points to? The reason I think immersion is important is it's the idea that the whole self needs to be redeemed. The whole self. So when we go under the water, it's the idea that not just part of me is sinful, not just my mind, not just my, but everything of me, my whole being, needs to be baptized into the power and presence and love of God. The whole thing. I'm not like basically a very, very good, wonderful person, 99%, and I just need like 0.1 of God. No, it's, it's to confess that I, I am a sinner in, in need of a Savior. And so my whole self is going down into the water. 
It also, since it points to the idea of Jesus going into the grave, again, Jesus wasn't like mostly dead, like in Princess Bride, you know, like mostly dead. No, in the words of Princess Bride, Jesus was all dead, right? Which was the point of the three days. In Jewish belief at the time, the soul would actually hover there above the body for up to three days. On the third day, the soul would depart. So the reason Jesus is said to be three days, or the reason he was dead three days, is to make sure everyone knew, in the language of Princess Bride, he was all dead. He was completely dead. And so I think immersion, this idea of being fully dead, acknowledging that you are fully dead in your sins, that you want to be fully dead to your old way of life. That's an important part. I don't, I don't want, like, you know, I want to hang on to most of my sins. Sprinkle this side, but I'm keeping this stuff over here. It's like, no, your whole way of life, your whole way of thinking, your ownership of yourself, what you desire for your life, what you think it should be about, caring what everyone else is doing, nope, that's got to die. It goes into the watery grave. So I think uh, immersion is, is the best picture of that, but again, I'm not against um, people who use sprinkling. Um, it is best done by officers in the church because to be baptized into Christ, who Scripture says is the head, is simultaneously to be baptized into his body, which is the church. So again, um, I, there's, there's certainly circumstances where baptism will occur outside of the visible church, and, and I think there's good reasons for that. I've been with people in hospitals as they were dying. And if they want, and if they're professing faith, or perhaps they believe but just never were baptized, and they want to, then obviously I'm not going to take them out of the, well, sorry, it doesn't look like you're in any condition to get down to the Jordan. You know, like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. We can do it right there. So, so it, it doesn't have to be the officers of the church or, or whatever it is. But as a normative condition, because again, we were told not just to baptize people into a moment, but a lifestyle of obeying all the commands that Jesus has given us, I think it makes sense. Well, where are you going to learn that? You're going to learn that in the church. And God has given ministers to the church to that end. So being baptized into Christ as an individual, and yes, you can only decide for yourself, but having done that as an individual, you now belong to the community and the community to you. You are a part of the visible community. And so I think having uh, ministers involved in it, again, it's not a hard, fast rule for the reasons I've stated, but as a picture of what's actually going on, I do think that that is best representative. Where should I be baptized? Going along with the last question, there is no special geographic location where baptism must be done. We know that baptisms were performed by John the Baptist, were done in the Jordan River. Um, but many people don't realize that it's very, it's, it's quite probable that the first Christians were not baptized in a river, but in ritual baths in Jerusalem called the mikvahot. So they're probably baptized. And if you don't know geography, um, you know in Jerusalem, there, there's no river there. The Jordan River is, it's somewhere between 130 and 170 kilometers. Now, Use that number back in a pedestrian society where you got no vehicle, you're walking. Basically, there's, there's no Jordan River to go to. So on Pentecost, when 3,000 believe and it says they're baptized, well, where, per tell, where did that happen? Well, we know there's ritual baths. We've actually excavated them down in the temple. We know the community of the Essenes out at Qumran. 
were full of ritual baths. So very likely there were these ritual baths that were used in the context of either the temple or another religious community. But then we know very often down in church history, these uh, baptisms would take place inside a church building. Some people will go down to the ocean. That was part of the Jesus People Movement in Southern California. People would go out to the ocean, and they would do that there. Where should we be baptized? Again, I do not think that is the primary issue. But what I do think is important is that it is a public declaration of faith that should be done with witnesses. So that's what we want to do. We want to make sure this is not some private thing, that it is a public thing. We are telling others, we're telling the community, we're telling the world that we are giving our lives to Christ and that others can look to us to be followers of Christ and even hold us accountable when we are not behaving that way. I know, when would that ever happen? Um, So why do churches vary in their beliefs and practices regarding baptism? Um, There are general reasons why. First of all, there's a difference between the approaches of the relevant biblical text. People will come to the Bible in different ways. And second, like I said, there's just a lot of things the New Testament does not tell us, but you kind of have to decide on it practically. And over time, those became rules. And, And so people pass on these traditions as rules, but they're not actually in the New Testament. So that's one reason why you do see great divergence between Christian traditions. Lastly, who should be baptized? All those who believe that Jesus is Lord, that he has died for their sins, that he rose again from the dead, that he ascended into heaven and is coming again, and they wish to give their lives in obedience and service to him both now and forever. Whoever is ready to do that is ready to be baptized. Who should not be baptized? Those who do not believe that Jesus is Lord those who deny that they are sinners in need of a Savior, those who are doing so for reasons other than a personal, sincere commitment from the heart to Jesus. Don't be pushed into it by somebody else. Those who do not have a biblical grasp of what it means. I end this way. Baptism may be compared to a wedding day. How do you know when you're ready? Is there an answer? So like the answer I got when I was single and looking was, you know when you know. Like the most unhelpful answer ever. You know when you know. Wonderful. Well, in a sense, that's true. Because just like in a, a wedding day situation, there has to be a relationship. The two have to meet. They have to meet. You have to meet God. And then there's a story of, of learning whether this is a relationship you want to make a commitment to, right? And how long does that take? Depends, doesn't it? Some people, hey, I met you three days ago. I'm ready to drive to Vegas and get married. Other people, well, let's date for 10 years first. You know, it it can be different for different people, and we shouldn't push people to have our experience. I think we do that sometimes. We push people, well, well, this is how it was for me. Therefore, it needs to be that way for you. I don't think that is the case. But just like a wedding day, we, the love, genuine love, wants to make a commitment. You actually want to make a covenant. And you don't want it to be a private thing that nobody knows about. You want to gather witnesses. And you want them to testify to what you're doing. And you want the community to acknowledge that what is going on is a public as well as a private declaration. 
and we actually engage in symbols, we exchange rings, we, we say vows, and the two that once were separate become one. And the same thing is happening in baptism. And so God actually gave us, Paul says in Ephesians 5, he gave human marriage in the beginning that was revealed now in Christ to be a mystery that was always meant to point to Christ and the church. The true marriage that we all long for is not the one you're going to make to any other human being, but it is this commitment to God in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for drawing us. We thank you for your patience and your kindness with us. We thank you for the opportunity to be united to you. We thank you for this. And so for those, Lord, that have made that decision to be baptized among us this morning, we just pray for a special blessing on them. We pray that you would confirm your love for them. We pray you would empower them to have victory over sin and to live a life fully committed to you, bestowing on them all the power and the grace and the gifts that they need for the journey and road ahead. We just ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.